So I want to tell you a story before it's not in my sermon. I want to tell you a story that relates to my sermon. Um, when I was a little boy, um, my brother bought, he was considerably older than I, 15 years older than I, and he had a good job in a factory making good money, and he bought a 69 blue with a white roof Dodge Charger with a 383 and a slapstick automatic. I'll bet today if he had that car, it would be worth probably 20 times what he paid for it. A Mopar muscle car, man, what a great vehicle that was. I was eight years old in 1969, and I always, if he would let me, I always wanted to ride in that car. And he's the brother that when he would take me in the car, he would have one hand over the speedometer and the other hand on the wheel, because <laughs> I was such a tattletale. Speaking of being a tattletale, I'm going to be a tattletale on him right now. <laughs> when uh, we were uh, going down the road one time, it was about twilight. Remember, I'm like nine or ten years old at the time, just starting to get dark. And uh, I'm sitting in the passenger seat in the Charger. We're going on kind of a country road, pretty slow. There's a car coming toward us, and it has four headlights, high beams. It's starting to get dark. So he did what everybody did. He pressed a little button on the floor. <laughs> Some of you don't know what that means, right? And he, he flashed his lights, high beams. Four lights remained glowing. Got a little bit closer, and he flashed them again. They remained glowing. Got a little bit closer and he flashed them again and they're remaining on high beam until the car is right up next to us. Now mind you, this might not have happened. And buddy, if you're watching and my memory's wrong, I'm sorry. It's a really good sermon illustration though, so let me slide, okay? Here's what my mind remembers from half a century ago. Wow, that's something, isn't it? My mind remembers that he said, huh, green mercury. I'll remember you, buddy. Hmm. And thus began, and frankly it probably was well-rooted by the time I was nine, something inside of me which became very good at remembering when someone does me wrong and holding my fist tightly shut and saying, I'll remember that. And I was really good at it. This fine young woman who plays the piano at Kerwinsville Alliance Church, she once said these words to me. It crushed me but I didn't let her know. She said, you can hold a grudge better than anyone I've ever met. You're right, I can. But I would say to you that God has delivered me from that. I am not that guy any longer. And she would tell you the same thing. That I'm not that kind of person. I struggle probably just like you do from time to time. But it doesn't mark my heart as it used to. Now here's why I tell you that story. Because often when we're going through the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus talks about some things like turning the other cheek, we see that as some kind of ideal, some kind of thing that, yeah, that would be cool if we could really do that. And I've even been around people who when you're reading that, they'll say, well, Jesus doesn't really mean that. Or they'll even feel like Jesus is wrong when he says that kind of stuff. Let me just tell you, if something inside your heart disagrees with Jesus, or with the Bible. It is not because Jesus or the Bible is wrong. It's because it's something inside your heart that's wrong. And he wants to fix it. He wants to take that tendency we have toward having our fists clenched, and he wants to take it away. And he wants us to have open fists. If you want to open your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew 5 in a moment. There's a Bible app event for it, and you can follow along there. 
I want to talk to you about your fist today. And I want to talk to you about your heart today. You know, they say that your heart is about the same size as your fist, right? That's 10th grade biology. Mrs. Boyer told me that. You know, your heart and your fist, they're about the same time, or size rather. But that is not the only similarity between your heart and your fist. You know that your fist can be open. Your fist can be closed. And your heart can be open. And your heart can be closed. You know that when your heart is open, that you're vulnerable. And you know that when your heart is closed, that's when you're safe, or at least you feel you are. And even when your hand is open, there's a vulnerability there. My palm is much more sensitive to touch than is the back of my hand or my knuckles. When my heart is closed, when my fist is closed, it's not vulnerable, it's strong, it's powerful, it's destructive. And when my heart is closed, I might feel like it's strong, I might feel like it's powerful, but it's destructive. If not to the people around me, it is destructive to me. I want to talk to you today about half a dozen verses that Jesus speaks in the Sermon on the Mount, half a dozen sentences, literally, and how it kind of clicks with this idea of the open fist or the closed fist. And I really want to help you see that what Jesus is saying here, he's not like just wishing. Wouldn't it be nice if we could all be this way? He's explaining to you that this is what it means to be his follower. If you say you are a Christ follower, this is how you walk. This is how you behave. He's saying this is what it means to be part of the kingdom. You know, as Americans, we have an identity. This is what it means to be an American. As someone from Clearfield County, we have an identity. This is what it means to be from Clearfield County. We're not like those people over in Jefferson County, right? And as a member of the kingdom, Jesus is saying, this is what it means to be a member of the kingdom. So I'm going to look at like each verse here and just have you see, how does this apply to the idea of your fist? So let's begin in chapter 5, verse 38. It says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. That's a closed fist. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. That's an open fist. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. That's an open fist. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt... Hand over your coat as well. That's an open fist. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. That's an open fist. Give to the one who asks, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Open fists. So it was two years ago this month that a Dallas police officer named Amber Geiger was on her way home from a 13-hour shift. When she pulled into her parking garage, she didn't notice that she had parked on the wrong level. And so when she got out into her apartment complex that adjoined it, she was on a different floor than she lived on. She entered what she thought was her apartment, and there was a man who she didn't know. His name was Botham Jean. She was startled. She was a police officer. She had a weapon. She drew it. She shot him. She killed him. And it was then that she realized, I'm in the wrong apartment. A floor above her own. And she realized, I have killed an innocent man in his own home. 
If you followed the case, you know that Geiger was found guilty of murder and sentenced by the court. During the victim impact statements, and you know what those are, right? That's the moment at the conclusion of a trial when the victims get to say, you took away my brother. You took away my parents. You took away my child. They get to just unload. They get to talk about the impact that their, that this crime has had on them personally. During the victim impact statements, Bosom Jean's brother Bront changed everything when it was his turn to address Geiger. I'm going to read to you what he said. He said this, I hope you go to God with all the guilt, all the bad things you have done in the past. Each and every one of us may have done something that we're not supposed to do. If you are truly sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I, I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask Him, He will forgive you. I love you, just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say that I hope you rot and die just like my brother did. But I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's exactly what Botham would want you to do. And the best would be to give your life to Christ. I'm not going to say anything else. I think giving your life to Christ would be the best thing that Botham would want you to do. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. And then he wiped a tear from his eye. And he looked at the judge who was wiping tears from her own eye. And he said, could I please give her a hug? The judge didn't answer. And he looked again at that judge and said, please. And he got up and walked over and she got up. And they embraced and they wept. (laughs) Sobs could be heard throughout the courtroom as everyone was wiping tears away now. That's an open fist, an open hand, from which flows mercy and grace and love. And that is the way of the kingdom. I don't want you to read them. I want you to just hear them. Hear these words of Jesus like you've never heard them before. You have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. And do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is really talking about relationships. And if you know anything about relationships, you know that we make a lot of mistakes in relationships. Relationships are maybe the hardest things we deal with in life. And he's kind of cautioning us against really common mistakes that everybody wants to make. He's telling you how kingdom people respond to potential conflict. And he's following the pattern he's already been following. You have heard that it was said, but I tell you. And when he says you have heard that it was said, 
He's talking about the law of Moses. The Old Testament law. He's talking about the law that God himself gave to Moses. And Jesus wants us to see a deep meaning within those words. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. And then Jesus goes on to speak about avoiding retaliation. He talks about how do you handle provocation? How do you handle insults? How do you handle that person? Do you have that person in your life that just gets your goat? You know that one person, just they always, they needle you. And you just try really hard to be their friend, and they still needle you. They, they push your buttons like they, like you have a big sign. Here's my button. Please push it, you know? They're that person in your life that provokes you and brings out the worst in you. Do you know those people? You might think of that person as a provocateur. Jesus is talking about that kind of person in your life. When he says, I tell you, don't resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now, Bible scholars tell us that to slap to the cheek was, in Jesus' day, something akin to a challenge. It's like when hockey players throw down the gloves and they're ready. Let's go. We're going to fight. It's an insult. It's a provocation. It's an invitation to a duel if you're Alexander Hamilton or Aaron Burr. It's like when the Frenchman takes off his glove and slaps you across the cheek. Let's fight. We're going to do it now. And it's really important that you understand that's the context in which Jesus is speaking about this because Jesus doesn't expect you to take a beating and take it again and take it again and take it again. And I've met people who are in relationships that are abusive like that and they say, I don't have another cheek to turn. I don't know what Jesus is talking about here. Jesus isn't talking about subjecting yourself to repeat abuse. What Jesus is telling us is that when we are provoked, when we are insulted, when that person pushes our buttons, the way of the kingdom is the high road. It is to be the bigger man, to be the better woman, to avoid retaliation and snapping back. That's the way of the kingdom. Jesus cautions us on common ministry mis- or relationship mistakes by telling us to avoid tension. You know, the first thing that comes to my mind when I clench my fist and I clench it tight enough that I can feel my fingernails digging into my palm is tension. I can see the tension there in my arm. I can see the tendons and the veins and my knuckles are kind of white. Fists are always marked by tension. And when I open that, when I open that fist, tension's gone. It's free. It's relaxed. In the kingdom, we answer demands not with the tension of a closed fist, but with openness of hand. He says right there in verse 40, if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand him your cloak as well. A lot of people feel like Jesus might be referring to something in the law of Moses in Exodus chapter 22 where, where God is speaking. He says, if, if you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, Return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? So, you know, you can imagine that neighbor that borrows your lawnmower and doesn't always remember to bring it back, and then you have to go over to get it. You might say to them, look, uh, yeah, you can have my lawnmower, but I'm going to need your cell phone until you bring it back. That's kind of what's going on here. But what God is saying there in the Old Testament is, you know, give it back to them by sunset, because they need that cloak to sleep in. Jesus says, don't just give them your cloak, give them your coat as well. The whole point is that you're not creating tension in a relationship. 
If there's any place that you would find tension in Jesus' day, it would have to do with the Roman occupation of Judea. You think about it for a minute. In the Roman occupation of Judea, this superpower, Rome, has moved into Jerusalem, into all of Israel, and has kind of taken over, and they have their soldiers everywhere. Jesus says, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. What's that all about? It's about the Roman soldiers. A Roman soldier could could say to anyone, hey, you there, come and carry my luggage. And if you were one of the occupied peoples, you had no choice. It was the law. You have to carry the luggage. You can't not carry the luggage. And that was a tense situation. How angry would you be if there were soldiers from another country right here in Clearfield County demanding that you haul their stuff around for them? Tension would be high. Jesus said, I want you to avoid that tension. And when they say, carry this for a mile, give them another. Carry it that extra mile. Because, because, tension never helps relationships. Now listen, I want to be real clear again and tell you, Jesus is not saying that we should take abuse without protest. You can see that in Jesus' own life. When Jesus was on trial in John 18, shortly before he went to the cross, he, he said something to the high priest that other people found offensive, what Jesus said to the high priest. And in John 18, 23, the scripture reads, when Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby slapped him in the face and said, is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded. And Jesus responded, Jesus said, if I said something wrong, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, then why did you strike me? So Jesus, as he says this avoiding tension thing, he's not saying you should be a doormat. It's not saying you should just, and I think sometimes we get that idea in our mind because we think of the scripture where it says, as a sheep led to the slaughter, so he opened not his mouth. What that is saying to you there is that Jesus was not rebellious about taking on the sins of the world, but it doesn't say to you that Jesus is okay with injustice and you need to learn to suck it up and be okay with it too. That's not what it's saying there at all. He's not instructing you to be a doormat. He's not instructing you to let injustice roll from the mountains without addressing it. He simply wants you to be the better man, the better woman, and not be one who contributes to the tension, but have open hands, because that's the way of the kingdom. There's a third thing he talks about in a series of verses that we should avoid, and it's stinginess. It might sound kind of funny to you, but Jesus here is just talking about being a person who gives. And that's a great picture of of a fist, right? Because the closed fish is Ebenezer fist is Ebenezer Scrooge, you know? He's like, I'm holding on to everything I got. Every penny I have is mine. I'm not giving, I'm not sharing with anyone. It's mine, I, me, mine. It's all mine, right? And the open hand is giving. It's not stingy at all. It's benevolent. It's gracious. Verse 42, Jesus says, give to the one who asks. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Open hands. It's the way of the kingdom. I want to remind you that it's not that the kingdom is without justice. Justice is a pretty big priority with God. You want a great book to read about that. I recommend Generous Justice by Tim Keller. My son-in-law bought that for me, maybe before he was my son-in-law. It's a great book about justice from a biblical perspective. The kingdom is a kingdom of justice. For example, in Malachi chapter 6, in verse 8, we read a passage that's been 
preached countless times and even sometimes put into music where it says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So God wants you to walk in humility with him. But before that, he really wants you to love mercy. And we all love getting mercy, but I think he's talking about giving mercy. And he, even before that, wants you to act with justice, with fairness, with equity. And I think that the passage in the law, an eye for an eye, points out that God does see justice as being important. comes from the law of Moses. It's in Exodus 21. God is giving this law to his people. It's not just Moses writing stuff down, but the same God who's speaking the Sermon on the Mount when he says, turn the other cheek, is the same God who wrote the words, and if there's a serious injury, you're to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. He just kind of goes on there. Why? Because he wants you to know that he values justice. That justice is important to God, and it's important to us too. I mean, it's right in our pledge, right? I pledge allegiance to the flag, let's skip to the end, with liberty and justice for all. The concept of an eye for an eye reminds us that God ordained justice, and it's important. Adolf Hitler, if he hasn't already faced the judgment of God, he's gonna. And God will make sure justice is carried out there. People who abuse the weak, justice is coming for them. People who take advantage of the orphan and the widow, God's going to tend to that. God will see to the issue of justice, and his justice will be adequate. That's why he says an eye for an eye and a bruise for a bruise. It's not an eye for a bruise. It's the right kind of justice that he gives, and you can trust him with that. Justice is important to God, but what he wants you to see here in the Sermon of the Mount is how God objects to vengeful hearts and vengeful thinking. He finds the ugliness in the heart that demands every ounce of revenge. He finds that deeply repulsive, God does. It's ugly. And in relationship, God objects to that unforgiving tension and holding the grudge and allowing your grievances to fester so much so that you finally end up suing one another. That is not the way of the kingdom. God is reminding us that he objects to the stinginess and the my mentality that permeates culture. He doesn't want you to have that closed fist of Ebenezer Scrooge. He wants you to have that open hand. And that's why he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7, God loves a cheerful giver because God loves the open-handedness, not the closed fist. The open hand is the way of the kingdom. Now, it is safe for me to say to you that the change of fist only comes about with a change of heart. Change of fist doesn't come about from somebody saying, you had better do this. You know, It just doesn't work. It comes about in a supernatural manner when God himself through his Holy Spirit, who breathes life into you, changes you and makes you a member of the kingdom. And God's been talking about this for centuries before he speaks the words in the Sermon on the Mount. We spoke about it several months ago. We looked at a passage in the book of Ezekiel where God says, I am going to take your heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. 
You get that. He's saying, I'm going to get rid of the closed fist and I'm going to give you the open fist. You're, you're going to be that kind of person. In Jeremiah chapter 31 in verse 31, he speaks of it over six centuries before Jesus says what he says on the mount in the Sermon on the Mount. The days are coming, declares the Lord. Verse 31 reads, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with them, their ancestors, when I took them by hand and led them out of Egypt, even though they broke my covenant, though I was a, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Now listen to this, verse 33. This is the covenant I will make with my people, the people of Israel, after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. There's a supernatural transformation that God does. That when you enter the kingdom, when you come to the place in your life where you realize, I've sinned before a holy God, I've offended a holy God, and I need to find forgiveness, I need to be forgiven. When you say, Jesus, I trust that you died for my sins, I'm going to turn away from my sins and follow you, a miraculous event happens in your heart that he transitions your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and he changes you and makes you into a new creation. And when he does that, your heart is transformed and your fists begin to open. I'm not saying it happens the moment that you're saved. I'm saying that when you are saved, you are changed so the potential for this is able to be realized throughout the years that are ahead of you in ways that you otherwise would have not expected. And if you don't realize that he can do that, then you'll read Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount where he says, turn the other cheek and give to the one who asks you and walk the extra mile. And you're saying, wow, Jesus just doesn't know what it's like to live where I live. Jesus is really out of tune with reality in that part of the Sermon on the Mount. I'm not sure what he's smoking. I mean, that's what our brains will do. But Jesus isn't smoking. Jesus isn't out of tune. Jesus is saying, I will transform you in such a way that you will be different because this kingdom that we have entered is a kingdom of the heart. It is not a kingdom that the law is written in stone. It's not a kingdom that the rules are written on papyrus. It's not even written on your smartphone. It's not a PDF that you can get in email. It is written on your heart. On your heart. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. So that you can recognize, wow, that is not what I should be doing. And I know it because I've been transformed through the work of Christ and by the power of His Holy Spirit so that I see that the eye for the eye is wrong in this circumstance. I'm going to leave that justice to God and I am going to love and show mercy and show grace because you've been transformed. Open-handedness. Open-heartedness. This is the way of the kingdom. (laughs) The kingdom is a kingdom of the heart. The kingdom is a kingdom of identity. That very last verse that I read about the Sermon on the Mount, I'm sorry, not Sermon on the Mount, from Jeremiah 31. The last part of verse 33 says, I will be their God and they will be their people. I don't know if you remember a guy named Sam White. Anybody remember him? He was an NFL head coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. 
There was a season in which, um, particularly in the city of Cleveland, and if you're from Cleveland watching, I'm sorry to tell sales on you. <laughs> but uh, in Cleveland, the fans had taken the throwing things out onto the field during the game when the game wasn't going their way. And if you're from Cleveland, that's a lot of the game not going our way. So they would throw snowballs, they would throw bottles, they would throw cans, they would throw whatever they brought with them out on the field. I remember during that season, one time, I, I'm pretty sure it was during that season, uh, a referee caught a bottle on the head. Uh, I'm not sure that that's exactly when that was. But you can imagine the danger, right? Sam Weich was not the coach in Cleveland. He was down at the bottom of Ohio in Cincinnati. And uh, it started in Cincinnati, you know, how bad apples kind of spread. Things weren't going well for the Bengals, and so their fans, it was snowing. They took ice and snowballs, and they were throwing them down onto the field. Sam White got out and said something that was just so wrong, he got fined for it by the NFL. But I think most of the people listening were like, yeah, wow, that was good, Sam. He went up to a microphone on a sideline, and he said, listen, the next person who throws anything on the field, get them out of the stadium. Now listen to this sentence. You don't live in Cleveland, you live in Cincinnati. <laughs> okay. Right or wrong? Here's what Sam was trying to say. That as a resident of Cincinnati, we expect you to behave in a certain way. Here's what Jesus is saying. That as a member of the kingdom, God has empowered you and enabled you to behave in a certain way. By His transforming power and His Spirit within you, He has enabled you to open your hand, not unlike Christ Himself opened His hand to receive the nail for me. That is how I am to open my hand. He has enabled me to release the clenched fist. He's enabled you to let it go. He has enabled you, empowered you to live. Not like you're from this world, but from heaven, from the kingdom. Brunch on. <laughs> A lot of people would have expected him to show up at that victim impact moment with both fists clenched. Here's the brother. He'll put her in her place. Bring it, Bron! Confront that woman who killed your own flesh and blood. But he didn't. He was open-handed. And from his open hand, flowed mercy. From his open hand, poured grace. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. From his open hand, poured love. And he'll be remembered forever because of that. And I am guessing that at the end of that, at the end of that session in that court, that the person who woke, who walked out the most healthy emotionally and spiritually was the man who didn't close his fists but opened them. It's the way of the kingdom. It's the way Jesus is. You know that old saying, right? I asked Jesus how much he loved me and he stretched out his arms and said, this much, and died. I want to pray. 
that we would not have folded arms, crossed arms, but we would have open arms. I want to pray that we would not have clenched fists, but we'd have open hands. I want to pray that we would not have closed hearts, but by the Spirit of God's power, we'd have hearts that are transformed and are open. That is the way of the kingdom. I want it to be the way of me and for you. So if you're comfortable doing so, let's stand together and we'll pray. You know, it's kind of interesting to me when I, I think of of that gentleman who says, I love you. I don't even hope, I, I hope you don't even go to jail. I wish you didn't even have to go to jail. I want the best for you. When I think of him, I think of how good that was for him. And I think of how good that was for the officer, the guilty. And how good it was for everyone in that courtroom. You know what the judge did? She went and got her own Bible and gave it to the, to the condemned. Take this with you to jail. And how good it was for everyone who watched on Fox News, CNN, whatever they watched on and saw that. How good it was for everyone. But the beautiful part of it is it glorified God. Because it showed humankind how great God is. We think, boy, I'd love to turn water into wine. I'd love to make the lame walk. I'd love to restore the sight of the blind. Man, I just want to live as a kingdom person. I'll go for that. Give me that. Let me live as a kingdom person. If that's your desire, then unite your heart in prayer with me. Father in heaven, we desire that you would be glorified in all we do. We recognize our complete inability to live the kingdom way. But we recognize that you have transformed us. You have changed us. You've made us into new creatures and you have filled us with your Holy Spirit as we yield to you. He fills us so that that which we do is reflective of you, God Almighty, and your mercy and your justice and your grace and your love so that our hearts are open, our arms are open, our fists are open. Make that happen in the small things and in the giant things for your honor and glory. In the name of Christ Jesus, we pray. Amen.